you know, sometimes as fundraisers, we just need somebody to sit with us, help narrow our focus, really figure out what to prioritize. Absolutely. We are all stretched so thin and we just don't have time for it all. And that's why you should call our friend Cindy at In The Know, because that's exactly what she's going to do. She's going to coach you through it, help you strategize about your fundraising, and just reduce some of that stress. And I feel like when you have someone like Cindy helping you, it just makes the fundraising work for you. And we can have more fun, we can raise more money, and ultimately, we can help more people. Absolutely. So check her out. You can find out more at inthenowllc.com slash reframe. That's in the know, K-N-O-W-L-L-C.com slash reframe. Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Hey friends, welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. This episode was recorded live at the Rocky Mountain Philanthropy Institute. For those of you who joined us there, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you are new to the pod, go back and catch some of our prior episodes. You might especially enjoy episode number one on year-end fundraising. And for those of you who didn't, in- didn't join us at the Institute, give this one a listen. You should enjoy. First up are Nia and Brittany, who produce the witty and oh-so-true podcast about undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting nonprofits and their staff. With decades of nonprofit experience, mostly in fundraising, Nia and Brittany have seen the good, the bad, and the otherwise. Their podcast uncovers what is both inspiring and downright frustrating about the nonprofit sector with a good dose of irreverence and great humor. Despite supporting rival college football teams, Brittany for Ohio State and Nia for the far superior team to the North University of Michigan, Go Blue, they come together for their love of the sector. Welcome, Nia and Brittany. (laughs) Good morning, RMPI. I know who wrote that intro. This one. (laughs) No wonder you didn't want me to read it beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Got to keep you on your toes, Brittany. Got to keep you on your toes. I love it. Uh, Good morning. We are so thrilled to be here. I wish we had Reggie's great little applause button because it feels a little bizarre uh, knowing so many of you are watching us and uh, we can only see each other. (laughs) Exactly. I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, So many times in the podcast, we try and attempt to make the noises ourselves, and it just doesn't work. So we need to invest in one of those applause makers for sure. Yeah. Thanks. Reggie, we'll uh, follow up after this. <laughs> we are so thrilled to be here um, in this new virtual environment. Um, I know it's different for everybody, and there are certain things that uh, we're certainly missing, you know, the networking, the great breakfast buffet. I love that. Um, but there are also some benefits. Um, I will admit, I've got that outfit mullet Reggie was talking about. I have yoga pants on underneath and uh, cat socks. So we're nice and comfortable today, and that's how it should be. That's exactly right. 
we do want to let everybody know um, that we are going to be recording this. You, we are bringing you into the space. Um, Nia and I are so used to just talking at each other every week. And so we're really excited to have you play a part in it. And you are going to play a part in it, even though uh, you're not on video and talking. We're going to go out into breakout rooms later so you can connect and network. But even before that, we have no idea how this episode is going to go. You are going to tell us which direction it's going to go. This is going to be really fun. But since this is a recording that we will release as an episode, we got to start it like we always do. Brittany, take it away. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Hi, listeners. We are coming to you live from Rocky Mountain Philanthropy Institute, where we have assembled a Zoom room filled with amazing fundraisers from across the state. Uh, and they are in for a day full of fundraising knowledge, stretching their brains, learning about the best, newest, most exciting things in fundraising, and getting some real great support and peers along the way. I would like to introduce all of you to Nia. You heard a little bit about her poor choices in football teams, but <laughs> Nia um, is a fundraising and nonprofit maven. She has worked um, almost her entire career, maybe her entire career, either for or with nonprofits. She is currently the owner and principal of Mission Launch Consulting. So check that out if you're needing it. And she has clearly done this in a former life because she is wise beyond her years. <laughs> oh, thanks, Brittany. And Brittany, as we say on the podcast, is the fundraising maven. I mean, she has done it all from tiny budgets up to big multi-million dollar organization. She knows fundraising backwards and forwards. Currently the VP of development and marketing for a small nonprofit in Boulder. She is helping them grow and scale in amazing ways. And I just lucky to call her a friend. Thanks, Nia. And we are friends, believe it or not. <laughs> it's surprising how many listeners have asked us if we actually are friends. And yes, we are. We, we genuinely are. So, so go oh, ahead. I was going to say, before we get started, I'm just curious how many people have actually heard the podcast. So I'm about to launch your first poll of the day. Everybody get ready. Should pop up on your screen. Have you ever listened? Um, you can say not yet, but we appreciate your commitment to listen after today. You can find <laughs> us wherever you get podcasts. Look for Nonprofit Reframe, or you can find us at nonprofitreframe.com. Um, got a few folks who've maybe caught a few episodes here and there, and we definitely have those avid listeners who we so appreciate. So just yeah. take a quick second to fill out the poll so we know who's in the room with us. Oh, awesome. Wow. Great. That's surprising. <laughs> so we've got a ton of new listeners in the room, which I'm thrilled about. Glad to welcome you into the Nonprofit Reframe family today. That's amazing. I'm so excited. But that means if you have not listened yet, that you probably don't know that we have a reputation for sometimes using salty language. And we just want to make sure that everybody knows we are here to be on our best behavior. So we will, we promise not to use any nasty four letter words. <laughs> and at the same time, we really do encourage you to go and listen some more. We, uh, every episode kind of does a deep dive into a topic 
relevant to the sector. Um, so hopefully you'll, you'll hear something that's relevant to you. All right. So we thought, especially since a lot of you have not heard of the podcast, it would be great to just let you know how it came to be, our origin story that we call it. So as I said earlier, Nia and I, we are really good friends, um, and we have become each other's confidant when talking about, you know, obstacles that we face in our daily life. Uh, we're both married. We both have partners. Um, and yet I'll be the first to tell you, my husband has no idea what it's like to work for a nonprofit. Um, just like, I don't know a lot about what it's like to build trails in Boulder. Um, so Nia became that go-to person and it started with galas, right? Is it galas? Hmm. So this is an ongoing argument on the podcast as well. So again, we thought we'd ask all of you, how do you pronounce it? Is it gala? Is it gala? Is it gala? Please weigh in. Help us settle this debate. <laughs> Our good friend, Marty Moore from Outboarder County, she assures us that it is gala. <laughs> Most certainly. Mm. Look at that. Has your split. Okay, so you didn't help us settle the debate at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that is uh, a little bit about why we're dressed this way. Um, so Brittany and I love going to these events together. That's how our friendship really blossomed. And I don't know about you all, but I looked in my closet the other day at all of these beautiful dresses that I haven't worn in six months. So we both pulled one out today, decided to get dolled up a bit just for y'all. Um, and also continue to stay comfortable, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> so after we started being each other's dates to different fundraising events of our fellow organizations, we started then having almost daily phone calls. That phone call on the commute home from work of, oh my gosh, you would never believe what happened. You can't make this stuff up this thing happened, this thing happened, and using that as a way to um, relieve stress and find some, an empathetic voice. And it really became a type of catharsis. Yeah. And we started to realize too, that a lot of the issues we were dealing with were actually much larger than just us or our organizations. They were really systemic issues with the sector. And so as we started to dive into that more and more, um, you know, sharing stories of just the ridiculous things that happened, we realized that actually maybe other people were having these same kind of struggles and they didn't, they didn't have a Brittany or a Nia to reach out to. And that's really where the podcast came from. Um, and hopefully what you'll experience with us today. Uh, most of our episodes, we want it to feel like you're sitting at the kitchen table with us talking about our days and what happened and the ridiculousness and also how we can be change makers within the sector to help break down some of these barriers. So after every phone call, we would notice, we'd say, that would be a good podcast episode. That would be a good podcast episode. And how many did we collect? Our initial list was 54. So, and I believe it was exactly a year ago that we were at a list of 54. And we said, if we do one a week, that is a year's worth of episodes. It's time we need to launch. But even then, we were really nervous. So it took something big, a commitment, to really make us 
uh, plan to do it and make ourselves do it. And that happened at Rocky, Man Rocky Mountain Philanthropy Institute. A commitment where one of us pushed the other off the ledge when they weren't necessarily ready for it in a very public way. <laughs> so Nia and I are huge fans of Vule. And if you were here last year, then you saw him speak because he was the keynote speaker and he was fantastic. So I said, we have to go meet him. And Nia was very, very, very nervous. She didn't really want to say anything to him. So we went up and we met him. And I decided to take that opportunity to say, hey, guess what, Boo? We're starting a podcast. <laughs> and maybe you could be on it one day. And mind you, at that point, we didn't have a name. We just had a spreadsheet with a bunch of topics. Um, and so that weekend, we took our time up in Breck and figured it out. And here we are. Here we are. December 9th was our first recording, our first episode. I think I was probably just as nervous as I am today for this. And it was in June that Vu came on the podcast as our first and so far only guest. <laughs> and I was just as nervous then as I am now as well. <laughs> So here we are a year later, we couldn't be more excited. This is a dream come true to think that last year this time we were attending the conference and that this year we were asked to speak. We are so grateful to RMPI for the opportunity and we thank you for listening. So that's enough about us. We yeah. should probably get into the meat of it. Um, and like I said, th this should be pretty casual. It's like sitting at our kitchen table. So. We're actually going to let you choose what we talk about today. Um, we are throwing up another poll. Um, this is really your, your choose your own adventure. Do you want us to talk about fundraising events, corporate philanthropy grants? Take your pick. Oh, I love seeing all the, the responses come in I so quickly know. and the levels shift. We had an idea of what we thought people were going to talk about. Oh, gosh. And you know what? I think we were wrong. We were completely <laughs> wrong, which means we have nothing prepared. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 not, not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, it looks like we're going to be talking about corporate philanthropy, Brittany. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. This is a fun one because last May, um, which would have been our first virtual conference that we spoke at, we did a session for Boulder Startup Week. And we talked about this and we thought it was a great venue for that because there was going to be a lot of people um, listening to the session coming from the for-profit sector. And I don't know about you all, but I have often found that working with for-profit entities to develop sponsorships, volunteer opportunities, you know, kind of create these packages is really, really difficult. Um, especially when there's this underlying assumption that we're looking for a win-win opportunity, right? The, the company should be getting just as much out of it as we are as the nonprofit. And that's a really hard dynamic. Um, Brittany, I know you've got some good stories about this because I'm thinking of a couple, especially with some of those corporate volunteer days. Yeah. So at a very basic level, what we have found to being an underlying theme to all these different topics that Nia and I discuss each week is a real imbalance of power. And that is where a lot of our frustrations come from. 
But also this dynamic, whereas being with a nonprofit, we constantly have to be in an attitude of gratitude and deference. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this is so helpful. We couldn't do this without you. And while that's true, while we do need these partnerships to really advance our missions and most of all to impact our community, sometimes it's at the detriment of the nonprofit. And we don't always say that. We're not honest. We're so excited to have their participation and their hope for further giving, further support, that we just go along with it. So I don't know about you all, but I have had many a corporate volunteer days where they call up and I'm working for a small human services organization and they have 25 people. And we don't have anything remotely close, big enough to do for 25 people. And again, can you even fit 25 people in your office? No, there's no (laughs) way. There's no way. And the disclaimer is, you know, Nia and I have worked a long time in small human services organizations. So recognizing that, you know, if you're working for a university or a hospital or some, it's a totally different ballgame. But our perspective is, you know, these under a million dollar, under $2 million, sometimes under $500,000 small nonprofits. So one called us up and uh, of course, someone that works for the company was on our board. Um, In fact, I think that he was even the board president at the time. And so we were going to do everything that we could do to make this a success for them. We wanted to make sure that they walked away feeling good about themselves, knowing a little bit more about the nonprofit, sure, but most of all, having a positive experience. So how typical is that, Nia? I mean, how many times have you been involved with a corporate partner and we as the nonprofit are just so worried and centered on their needs? Oh, absolutely. Again, goes back to that position of gratitude and deference, whatever we can do to create a wonderful environment for them. So we had to come up with a project for 25 people. So we said, we'll build something. Let's build a shed. We needed a shed. We talked about how we needed more storage for years. Here's free labor. So let's take advantage of it and let's build a shed. You know what wasn't in our budget? A shed? A shed, the cost for the materials. Now, again, I recognize that depending on the relationship, sometimes corporate partners are really great at um, donating money towards the cost of the project. And I think that that's something that I have seen as a really relatively new phenomenon. And I really, I love that. I think that's great. And that's kind of the point of this whole story about having that open and honest conversation around, sure, maybe we can put something together for you, but I need you to recognize we didn't budget for this. And so we're going to have to pay out of pocket for this. So we paid out of pocket for a shed so that they could come and build it. And it was, I mean, we were running around trying to get the materials. I'll never forget our volunteer manager thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? Do I go to the hardware store? I mean, what do I need to get? So I need to get hammers and this and that and, and protective gloves and all this sort of thing. And, 
you know, building wasn't in her wheelhouse. She didn't know a lot about that. But again, we were committed to making sure that we had everything necessary for them to have a successful experience. So we built the shed and they had a great experience and we got extra storage. Win-win, right? Was it? Not really. The damage that it did internally with the staff, the fact that they could only build it on a Saturday when we don't work, the fact that we're having to spend money unbudgeted, work on hours that we're not getting paid for, rearrange everything to cater to them, it's an unfair imbalance of power. Mm -hmm. And I I think what you're saying there too about the impact on staff, it's not just like coming in on a Saturday. It's these corporate people kind of making that happen. And so it, it also feels like it's a, you know, you're lesser, like their time is more important. Their role is more important. And so I, I do think that it really does impact our, us and our staff when we're, we're in those lower roles. And let's be honest, how much in the overall giving is corporate giving? About 5% annually. 5%. So again, we're not saying that these aren't relationships that we should be building. We're not saying that there isn't value in partnering with the for-profit community. What we're saying though, and what we say over and over again throughout our podcast is what is our role in that? What are we enabling? Mm -hmm. Because we're so afraid to speak up and say what our needs are, what our restrictions are, to be able to say, hey, we'd love to do that. But in order to do that, this is what we would need to make that happen. Yes. Yes. Those boundaries um, and (laughs) kind of equally in the playing field is really important. Sorry, I'm seeing the chat box and the hashtag, how many times can you paint the same room? I mean, how true is that? How true? So I got to, I got to pull out the Cape story because it is just a classic. Your story is fantastic. Okay. So there's this, this business, um, and I was working in child welfare at the time and they decide to, um, they, they start off by doing a big toy drive for us, which was great. We needed toys for our kids for the holidays. Awesome. And then they're like, you know, we really want to develop a deeper relationship with you. So Nia, executive director, will you come in and talk to our employees about the work you do? And hey, I've got this great idea for a craft. Let's make capes because capes are empowering. It makes them feel like superheroes. So you can talk about the kids in foster care. We can make capes. You know, it can be this learning thing. And I'm like, awesome. I'm going to get in front of all of these corporate folks. I'm going to get them excited. Maybe some of them will come volunteer in our program. Let's do it. So we go and I do the presentation and they've got a group of 40, 50 employees assembled, luckily at their office. They brought in all the craft supplies so I could just show up and they make these capes. Well, we forget not everybody is creative. (laughs) Not everybody is artistic. And so some of them were kind of fun, cutesy. Some of them looked like a preschooler had made them. I mean, I don't know how they covered it in so much glitter and glue as an adult, but they did. And then they had so much fun doing these Kate projects that the company continued to do it without us knowing. 
and would just ship us these boxes of decorated capes, 75% of which were so horrific, we could do nothing with them. And so I, you know, I go back to them and we're trying to, again, talk about this relationship and I'm trying to take it to the next level. You know, where do we go from here? Capes are great. And here's what we need. We need dollars to be able to do this work. We need volunteers. We need board members. And the corporate social responsibility person said, you know, capes are really in our wheelhouse. Capes are in nobody's wheelhouse. What are you talking about? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I just saw in the chat again, somebody say, I don't know how many times I've had to redo a volunteer project. It's so true. I don't, I mean, I'll be honest. We have said, okay, put these kits together for us. They drop the kits off and we've undone them. We took them all out because we don't have storage for them or we don't need that many kits or we give them to other partner organizations. And this is the stuff that is taxing on us. It's this little stuff every day that keeps us from getting the real work done and that beats us down so that we're tired. And that's what we want to speak to through our podcast. So if you're resonating with any of this, This is exactly what we talk about every week. The things that, oh my gosh, we would never say out loud because, you know, if someone heard and they thought we were being ungrateful, how mean that would be. But the truth is, is that it's okay. We can have limitations as nonprofits. And it's true. It should be a win-win. And they're getting something out of it too. Brittany. I know we are currently live in front of 130 people. I'm going to challenge you on the win-win. Okay, here we go. So we operate under this assumption that nonprofits exist as, as, as this thing over here, right? We've got our companies, our small businesses, we've got our government entities, and then own nonprofits. We forget that this is all part of a larger community. When a big company comes to town, it impacts that community. So, you know, both of us have spent a lot of time working in nonprofits in Boulder. we got a big tech community, a large company. I'll I'll let them go unnamed for today. Shall not be named. (laughs) Moves in. What does that do to housing prices? Yep. What does that do to push people out? What does this do to the, the prices of everything? And so therefore, how does this impact our human services? So this is also a call not just to, you know, have companies find better ways to intersect with nonprofits, but also for them to realize they impact this community and have some real duties to be part of of helping maintain it, helping ensure that the services are available, helping to mitigate the negative impacts that them coming to town might bring. And so this is where some of our content gets a little edgy, (laughs) but we said this, we said this to a room of people at Boulder Startup Week, particularly for startups. If you're just getting going, you need to know this. You need to know how your business is affecting the greater community and how you're relying on these nonprofits to then help the more vulnerable in the community that might've been directly impacted. And so we do think at the Nonprofit Reframe podcast that businesses do have a responsibility and a duty to give back and support their local nonprofits. 
So Brittany, now, you know, that we've both had this wonderful awakening about the power imbalances, if you had that same situation where that company came to you, they said they've got 25 volunteers, they wanted to do a project on a Saturday with no money, what would you say? Well, in that particular instance, as I was saying, the person who was driving the project was our board chair. And so if I'm being honest, it's a real reflection of a lack of training at our board level. And so really trying to instill this in our board members so they recognize the challenges. They recognize, of course, they want, they're passionate for the mission. They want to bring their business in and share that with them. But then how do we equip them to have those conversations first before it's even brought to us? Yes, I I think that's such a great point. Our we equip our board members to be advocates for our specific agency, our causal area, our mission. How great would it be if we could equip them to be advocates on behalf of the sector, to understand how to just be better citizens in our communities, to help foster better relationships between nonprofit organizations and the community at large? That would be pretty amazing. Absolutely. So I have to bring this one up because I know everybody has been here before. How many people have had a business say that they'll give a portion of their proceeds for the day to the nonprofit? Maybe it's a restaurant or brewery, but in order for that to happen, the person who's ordering has to say that they were sent there from the nonprofit, and there needs to be a nonprofit representative at a, staffing a table at said business all day, all if day. If that's even allowed. Sometimes all night, if that's even allowed. But do not hand out anything in the parking lot as people are walking up, letting them know what's happening, because that's not fair. So people have to come of their own accord because they heard about it through the nonprofit, And then we have to sit there all day talking to no one. Let's be honest. Well, because we've promoted it to our people. So if people show up with the little flyer, whatever, they're already our people. They already donate. They already support us. And so now, you know, yes, we got 10% of that pizza purchase. I mean, it, it really isn't anything. And we've just wasted so much staff time trying to cultivate this event. I, and I, I want to be very clear. I have been that person. I have set up those dine outs. I have done the rounds of all the restaurants thinking that's how we're going to get this. And it's a win-win where the restaurant wins. Cause we've just sent all of our people to that restaurant and we really don't get much out of it. We don't get additional exposure. We don't get additional funds, but we have spent a lot of time and energy. Don't you have a funny story about doing that all day for um, Colorado Gives Day? (sighs) Yes. Okay. Uh, So one last story before we wrap this up. So uh, when I was a baby fundraiser, uh, meaning I I was pretty young in my career, um, a a lot of that bright, shiny object syndrome, right? Like there's this thing over here I'm going to go run to. There's this thing. And it was in the early days of Colorado Gives Day, maybe like first, second year it ever existed. And I was like, how are we going to differentiate ourselves? How are we going to be the thing that people want to be involved with on Colorado Gives Day? And so brilliant me realizes, well, if all of this is online, we should be in person. 
right? We should give people a physical way to connect on Colorado Gives Day. And so I set up locations throughout the county, literally from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., where myself, volunteers, other staff members would be all day long talking about our organization, you know, talking about Colorado Gives Day, getting people excited. The one thing that did happen was I was beyond exhausted, <laughs> totally burned out after the day. Yes. And the one restaurant that was really successful was already a partner of ours, right? It, it was one that had already, already donated, already agreed to match, do all kinds of amazing things for us. They would have done it anyway without us having to be there all day. So please, my, my hope for the sector and for fundraisers out there, no more stinking dine outs with 10% proceeds going. It's not worth your time. <laughs> All right, Brittany, we got like two minutes to wrap up with our takeaways before we send them to have some further discussion on this. Love it. All right. So takeaways. I brought up a good point about boards. You can at the very least start there. Start having these conversations with your board members about how you want to have corporate engagement but what the limitations are around it. What is realistic for the organization? What are the direct costs involved and how it affects staff? You know, we talk about in this industry having such a big turnover rate. And I swear, I think, you know, in my opinion, it's these types of things that are really, I mean, of course, it's, it's complex. But at the base level, I know these are the types of things that wear me down. And on the... The corporate relations side, you know, my, my recommendation to all of you, to the sector as a whole, is that we do put boundaries in place. Part of what has allowed this to happen is that we've acquiesced. We've said, sure, we'll do whatever you need. Yes, we'll be there on Saturday. Yes, you can do all these things. If we started to put boundaries in place and say, you know what, it, it's hard for us to do this on Saturday. Can we find another day? This project is kind of expensive. Would you be willing to find funds to help fund this? Or could we find another project? Or maybe it isn't a great fit for our organization. How about you look at some of our partner organizations that have capacity to work with these kind of, these size uh, groups of volunteers, right? We don't always have to say yes. And that is actually coming from a position of strength. It's helping redistribute that power imbalance, helping add value really to you. And as your staff see you do that as well, they'll feel more empowered. All right, so now you all are gonna have an opportunity. We're gonna break out into smaller groups and we have a scenario for you to talk about. Yeah, so I'm gonna read this scenario um, about you know one of these kinds of situations. You are gonna go into these breakout groups to talk about how you would respond in your role. So if you're a development director, you know what that would look like. If you're an executive director and maybe your development staff comes to you with this issue, what would you do, et cetera. Um, this is also a great time for you to network. Uh, like Brittany and I said at the get-go, having each other, having this peer support has really been important and part of why we're still able to work in nonprofits. So connect, exchange contact information, find people uh, who, who you might be able to connect with after this. So here's your scenario. A board member excitedly announces to you that you have secured the interest of a major local company in your organization. They've already scheduled a time for them to meet with your organization's leadership team. Upon arrival, the company states that they would like to set up a volunteer day for later this month with five teams of 25. <laughs> for those of you who don't want to do math on a Friday morning, that's 125 people. 
That's everybody oh. that's watching right now. <laughs> Although they won't be able to make a donation themselves, they are quick to point out that they match employees' contributions. So if the organization does a good job of selling itself and gets employees to donate, we will likely see donors from them. Think about your role, the power dynamics that play out, and what you do to address this within your organization. How was your session? It was so great. I, I really appreciate a lot of what folks said, and I'm going to share some, but while we're sharing a little bit from our groups, feel free to drop anything that came about in your group in the chat um, or questions that were raised. And our buddy, Tim, who's our next speaker, he's going to help review some of those for us and bring them forward. Um, you know, in, one, in my group, one thing we were talking about was really doing that cost benefit analysis for these kind of uh, relationships and looking at what the, um, what the opportunities are and not just awareness, right? It's real hard to measure awareness, but if the hope is that we're going to be bringing in new donors through the, the opportunity, do we actually have a way for that pipeline to work and to, to bring them forward? Um, so lots for us to, to be thinking about as we're contemplating these corporate relationships. What about you, Brittany? Well, we were talking about um, how to convert, well, not necessarily how, but when you can convert the employees to donors. And some people in the room were from the same organization in Denver, and they figured out how to do that. And so a lot of their major donors come through these, these big volunteer events. And so I thought that was fantastic. I mean, Honestly, that's one of the goals, right? And if you have found a way to do that successfully, then you know we're by no means saying don't do these events. Um, but even within the event itself, there's still boundaries that can be communicated beforehand to make it easier on the staff. Yeah, structure them in a way that is going to benefit the organization. Yeah. Right. What are you seeing, Tim? Anything good? Uh, we have a few questions that have come up actually during your presentation earlier, and then there's some more coming through the chat. Uh, but one I thought was pretty interesting. What would you say are good indicators for potentially good corporate partnership? Like what would be things that you would look for that's uh, going to probably say, this is probably going to work out? Well, this came up. Um, I don't know if it's going to answer the question, but this came up in my breakout too, that I kind of wanted to also clarify to everyone, that story that I gave about them coming to build the shed, they're actually a really amazing corporate partner in the sense that this company did volunteer projects, they matched their employee giving, they eventually gave money for volunteer projects in the future after we talked to them. Um, they had a grant that we could apply for, and they also paid uh, the hours that the um, staff worked, they paid that to the nonprofit as well. So they really saw all the different ways that they could engage with us and did it. And I thought that was great. However, and maybe this is a reflection on us and not having that relationship building because the relationship was through the, our um, board chair, when he left our board, we didn't have that engagement anymore. So um, I would say just a great corporate partner is that you have engagement on multiple levels and that it's also not being funneled through one person, that you're actually building that relationship with multiple people within the company. Yeah. And I would go back to that term partnership. Mm -hmm. So, so often 
and in the, the stories we were describing, it is this, you know, as a for-profit company, I've got this goal. I need to do volunteer service. I need to do um, team bonding. And I'm going to do it through a nonprofit because, hey, that helps the community. Well, when we as the nonprofit representative can say, actually, here's a structure that would work better for us. Here's how you could actually make a difference. That's when it gets to an actual partnership. Mm-hmm. That's when we start to get rid of some of those power dynamics and figure out, really, what are we going to do to make the community a better place together? Because that's what we, we really want. And so the, the call for all of us as nonprofit leaders is to, to set those boundaries, to say, here, here's what we need and, and how can we work on this together and do the, the classic bless and release, right? Mm-hmm. Some companies have structures that may not work for what we need and that's okay. We're going to bless and release them to go find another nonprofit where it might work better. That's great. That's super, super hopeful. Uh, one of the things that came up in our group was the discussion around uh, a gift acceptance policy where we outline in advance, like, you know, what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, like, you know, how we'll accept different types of gifts of either, you know, obviously cash assets or service. Right. So is that something you have experience with or any recommendations or thoughts related to that? Get one, do it now. <laughs> No, genuinely though, a gift acceptance policy can help really clear out so much of that clutter and remove the onus from the primary fundraisers from having to make those decisions or have really uncomfortable conversations without something like that backing them. So a gift acceptance policy, you know, part of it is very structural, logistical, what will what types of gifts will you and won't you accept? But then there there's some really uh, important pieces about your values. You know, what, what types of companies maybe don't align with your values and therefore you will not partner with. And to be able to have a policy like that that you can lean back on is going to allow you to be not only a more effective partner, but also just have real clarity in communicating it. That's great. So Josh asked a question. He said, how do you handle donations from dispensaries? And then somebody <laughs> said, uh, product or cash? So. <laughs> product or cash. But how, has that something that's come up or any recommendations around that? Oh, yeah. I mean, particularly in Colorado, I know we have people on here from all over the country. So um, this goes, I mean, it's a great add-on to what we were just talking about with gift acceptance policies. I mean, you, you really need to be having those conversations. And, you know, to Nia's point, as the development staff member, it's our role to build relationships. And that's really hard to do um, when we're having to set these boundaries ourselves. But if you have something that can back it up and say, you know, well, our board met on this and they said X, Y, and Z. So, um, but I know Nia, you do a whole training on this. So yeah, yeah. You know, I really recommend having these discussions early and often, both as a staff team and as a board about controversial gifts. Um, And that doesn't, just, you know, maintain in that dispensary space. Um, it really is about your mission and what might not be in alignment with it. Um, so some of my organizations will have a full matrix that they use to determine if they will or will not accept a gift, or at least how that discussion is going to continue. Again, coming fully back to the philosophies and the values of that organization. So highly, highly recommend that. And I think there are real pathways to accepting controversial gifts with thoughtful discussion. So uh, what about a match.com that connects corporate volunteers with projects? Does something like that exist? I mean, should it exist? I mean, would that help with some of this that we're experiencing? 
there are definitely a, a number of volunteer match sites. Um, and I find that the ones that are more locally administered seem to work better. Um, you know, cause there, there are some folks who just have the constant ongoing need for volunteers. And so you can kind of plug in here and there. Then you have the organizations where you really need to go through a training. It's a longer term engagement and commitment. Um, and so if, if you're in an, a region where there isn't an opportunity like that, there isn't a site like that. Um, I think it, it is really, really helpful so that, um, when you're, having these conversations too, people can really find the organizations that fit their need. Um, I know Mile High United Way um, has one and that there are a number of different entities that will house that locally for your region. Excellent. All right. Time for a final question. Uh, Cookie asked, uh, do you charge a fee or accept a donation for your podcast? Great question. Great question. Uh, we don't right now, but we are actually working on getting our VIP club up and running uh, where you will be able to um, pay a monthly fee and get some additional content. Uh, we're waiting to launch that uh, until we really have enough interest. So hearing that already might be that push off the cliff that we need this year. <laughs> you know, when Nia and I were talking yesterday um, in preparation for this, we talked about how we spoke into the universe or Boulay's face about what we were going to do and made it so. And so we discussed, okay, what are we going to put out in the universe today? So that would definitely be one of them. Um, we would love to have a VIP membership that gives uh, some more access. Trust me, there's so much content and a lot of stuff that we say that doesn't make it into the podcast um, that you would have access to. And there would be um, a donation slash fee involved with that. So stay tuned. Awesome. Well, it, back to you. Wonderful session. Uh, you guys get the closing word. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for the help there, Tim. Um, you know, we, we focused in on corporate philanthropy today. And I think our message would have been pretty similar for grants and event fundraising. As nonprofit leaders, um, whether up and coming or um, established, we have a real responsibility and opportunity to change these power dynamics by holding these boundaries better, by um, really helping people engage in more effective ways with our sector. And without getting too sappy, <laughs> I would just like to reiterate the world needs us right now. We need to be in this space. Our sector is being called on more than ever. And whatever we can do on our end to help mitigate that extra burnout and stress. And so that's part of it. Okay, let's look at what those dynamics are, but then let's look at our role in it. And let's see, is there anything that we can do from our side to help with that? So we just want to say that we see you, that you are all change makers. And um, I'm not going to take credit for this. Anne said this last night in a meeting that we had, and I loved it. We know that we're going into fundraising season right now, and we're all exhausted already. She equated it to a triathlon, and we've already done the swim and bike, and now we have yet to do the run. So whatever you can do to help um, yourself, find yourself a Nia someone to talk to, listen to the podcast if you think that's helpful, but we need to be in this space. And we know that not all of you are going to agree with us and that's totally okay. Part of it is we want to bring forward these conversations that we aren't having and, and 
bring about change and also maybe be told we're wrong. So if you are sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how wrong me and Brittany are, let us know. <laughs> you can email us nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, and please download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And Brittany, I'm going to leave it to you to end our podcast the way we always do. We end every podcast. I know I'm talking to a room full of fundraisers, but this goes to you too, that if you have capacity right now, our local nonprofits need us now more than ever, please give and give generously. Thanks thank everybody. Thank you so much. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.